We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to talk more about the importance of having a map if you want to get somewhere. And that if you don't have a bird's eye view, an aerial view of the landscape, you're going to get lost and hurt. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. If you listened to yesterday's program, you know that I spent the entire show talking about the importance of having a roadmap, having a compass, having a North Star, something to guide you in a given direction, and that if we don't have that cultural, that social, that moral roadmap, we're lost. I've talked about the Magna Carta. I've talked about the Judeo-Christian ethic. I've talked about how Sinai has influenced our culture in a very clear and direct way. I've talked about the difference between Sinai, the Exodus narrative of freedom, and how that differs diametrically. It's diametrically opposed to Paris. That's from Oz Guinness's book, where he talks about Sinai being the Magna Carta of human freedom, and how Moses set the standard, the parameters, for our constitutional republic, the American Revolution, springing from Great Britain and the Magna Carta, the March for Freedom that they handed on to us, we get the American Revolution, which is grounded in similar ideas, but is basically just challenging Great Britain, our motherland, for compromising the ideals that they promised us. This, this worldview, this Sinai worldview, this worldview that is grounded in the Exodus narrative and then uh, Levitical law and Deuteronomy, I've told you before that Deuteronomy is cited more often in our seminal documents, the founding era of our nation, than any other classic literature. This, this is just a fact. More than Montesquieu, Locke, and Hume, and Hobbes, the Bible, Moses, Deuteronomy, is cited more frequently. Why? It's because those ideas set the context for the system of government that we've enjoyed for over 200 years, and that system of government was established to give us more freedom rather than less. And this worldview, this Sinai worldview, stands in direct opposition to the Paris worldview, the worldview of the French Revolution. There's a difference between 1776 and 1789 here. The American Revolution resulted in more freedom, more liberty, more dignity for the human being as opposed to less. But the French Revolution, elevating man and our own capacity to rise above God and murder God, literally displace God, murder him, kill him, get him off the throne, and put ourselves on that seat of power. What did that result in? It it resulted in butchery. The guillotine, 
blood flowing in the streets and Robespierre himself being, being killed by the instrument of his own making. Now, there's a reason. There's a reason for all of this, and the reason is the loss of directive ideas, ideas that will take us in a given and desired direction. Now, I've said over and over again, if you, if you create a vacuum, something will always rush into that vacuum. And if you think that you can take a biblical idea out of the mix and that you're just going to have a kumbaya moment where everybody can live and let live, that's not going to happen. History teaches us the exact opposite. Power will rush in to fill that vacuum that you've created. There's always a demagogue in the offing waiting to come in, pretending to be all about you when really, really what he or she desires most is power and control the hierarchy of authority over everyone else below him or her, as opposed to the covenant of a handshake, a binding word where we agree one to another to live within simple terms, live within our promise, our covenant with one another and with God, and thereby enjoy the liberty that comes with that. So today I'm going to finish this story of the roadmap, or the lack of one, and the consequences of getting rid of that roadmap. I'm going to start out how I finished yesterday. I'm going to go back to C.S. Lewis and his analogy, where he said, if you want to get from the shores of Great Britain or the shores of Northern Africa, I think to be more exact is what he's referring to, because he was talking about World War II at the time. He said, if you're standing on the beaches of North Africa and you desire to get to America, you better get a map, because if you don't have one, you won't get to where you want to go. You're going to get lost. This, this is self-evident. This is obvious. Uh, it, without a map, you're going to get lost. And when you're lost, you often get hurt. It's very important that we understand this, base, this basic elementary principle of honoring the map. Because the map was written, it was put together, it was, it was drawn by people who have already been there. And they recognize where the sandbars are, where the reefs are. They understand where the deep water is and the shallow water is. The map was put together by sailors that have been there before you. And as you navigate those waters, if you attend to the map, you're much more likely to not only avoid the dangers, avoid shipwreck, you're much more likely to get to your final destination. And if you don't, you're just going to list at sea. And you're going to crash. This is true whether you're sailing. This is true whether or not you're flying in a plane. And it's true if you're driving in a car or just going on a hike in the local park. Very important that you have a map. Let's take a break, and when I get back, we're going to wrap up this whole idea of the importance. The importance of having that North Star to guide us. That compass to get you out of the woods. That map to get you from North Africa to America. That picture, that bird's eye view, that aerial view, that drone flying over the area that you're navigating 
so that you know that as you step to the left or step to the right, you're either stepping towards safety or you're stepping perhaps toward the precipice of your own demise. I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. In yesterday's show, I, I, I uh, started this discussion about the importance of a map. And as I was preparing for today's program, I thought we need to we need to double down on this a little bit and spend the entire show making this point. Because frankly, as you're watching the news, it becomes more and more important that we attend to this issue. It becomes more and more apparent that we've lost our way. I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you're right or left, progressive, conservative, libertarian. Everybody has a sense of anxiety right now because we apparently don't have any common glue to hold us together. We're not the United States any longer. We're the divided states. We, we don't seem to be marching toward the fulfillment of the American dream because there is no dream. It's all a nightmare. It's all individual uh, perspectives as opposed to a unified a unified look as to where we want to go as a people, as a culture, as a nation. I mean, we can't even agree to have common borders any longer. And therefore, if you don't have common borders, if borders that are worthy of defense, if you can't draw a line around your nation and say this is where the nation starts and this is where it stops, then you have no nation. When you lack a map for guidance, you've lost the foresight to successfully navigate the challenges of where you want to go and where you don't want to go. We've become ultra-reactive in the way we engage with the daily news. I mean, look at the economic decisions we're making right now and the foreign policy decisions. They're all reactive. We don't know what we want to do. Um, we're responding. We're reacting rather than being proactive. We're responding to individual events without any rationale or plan. We've got politicians and entire political parties that will rally behind a cause, like I said yesterday, that represents the exact opposite thing that they said they believed just yesterday. I mean, this is true of the pro-life, pro-choice debate. You've got politicians that are rabid advocates of abortion on demand, regardless of whether the baby is two weeks in gestation or nine months in gestation, they believe that that baby should be killed because of the rights of the adult to kill that young human being that they find to be inconvenient. And those same people that are making that argument today were pro-life politicians just yesterday. How in the world can they do this? How in the world can you have uh, people that were lobbying for traditional marriage, Barack Obama one day, turning around and being staunch advocates of castigating traditional marriage as if it's a blatant bigotry today. Now, either they were lying to us or they're totally confused, and I don't know which. I could go on and on and spend the whole show pointing out the duplicity of people that held one view today, excuse me, yesterday, and a totally different one today. This seems to be evidence that they lack of co a core, um, a, a, a binding ethos, ethic within their soul, that they just blow with the wind for the sake of something other than principle 
And the only thing I can conclude is it's power. So we've got political and moral attitudes that change as quickly as you can flip on or off a switch. Now, why? Why is our national temperature turning on a dime? Why is the political narrative swinging from such great extremes? We, we make rash decisions and we're running ahead. We, we never consider how our principles, our, our seminal ideas and conclusions and are affecting our consequent actions. We, we don't look at history and reason and experience and revelation the way we used to. We act like we're islands unto ourselves and we ignore the fact that we actually live in a community a community, the United States, a community of interconnected people that, sh- that need to have common values and common virtues if we're going to live with one another. No one seems to be looking ahead at the big picture. We're reacting all the time. I'm making my point over and over again here, but that's important. We're, as I said yesterday, we seem to be in a forest and we're fixated on the tree, not recognizing, not recognizing anything else around us. In fact, as I said yesterday, I'm not sure it's the tree we're fixated on. We, we seem to be gazing at the bark and not even recognizing that it's a tree. All right. Now, is it possible? Here's the question. Is it possible we'd be a lot better off if instead of r- running headlong down this crazy, this crazy direction that we're on right now, if we didn't just stop, stop, and recognize that we shouldn't take another step unless we get a map. And that map needs to be one that has been proven accurate. Uh, You've got bad maps and you've got good maps. I would argue that the lesson of history, the lesson that our founding fathers handed down to us because they understood these great classics, like I cited earlier, Locke and Montesquieu and Hume and Voltaire, and they read Plato and Cicero and Socrates. They understood. Our, our, our founding fathers understood these great minds, and they understood that none of them were infallible. In fact, some of these people that I just cited disagreed with one another on what the ultimate map should be. But there's something else our founding fathers understood. They knew their Bibles. They, some, of them, some of them embraced uh, Christian theism, more so than others did, but all of our founding fathers knew their Bibles. They were biblically literate. They knew their Bibles like the back of their hands. They knew what Moses said as well as what Jesus said. And they understood that the words of Moses and Jesus and the apostles, as well as the prophets, they understood that these stories were important. They understood that the Genesis narrative was important, that the Exodus narrative was important. They knew they, meaning our founding fathers, knew where they'd been and where they were going. They, they, they saw the promise of a republic and the dangers of Robespierre. They understood the freedom of a covenant and the bondage of a hierarchy. They saw the risk of the rule of the gang and the power in submitting to the reign of God. They believed in a big God rather than big government and big brother. Our founding fathers had perspective, okay? Perspective is relevant here because that perspective was broad. They were looking at the world from a high perspective. They were standing on the highest precipice, looking downward, 
and they could see that those who turned to the left fell into bondage, slavery, and carnage. And those who turned to the right enjoyed more freedom rather than less. Not a perfect world. No, you couldn't have a utopia because you didn't have perfect perfect people. And the only way to ever, ever stand in a perfect world is to have perfect people. And that ain't going to happen this side of heaven. And therefore, we've got to have competing powers and some restrictions that stop the inevitable and sinful quest to control others. They, our founding fathers, saw not only the forest, but the trees, and the trees and the forest. They saw both because they looked at the paths and the roadways of history and providence and, and how there were clear directions that had been carved out on our behalf. And therefore, our founding fathers crafted this map very simple, very few words in our Constitution. And then they continued to reference the founding ideas that led to that Constitution. And more often than not, those ideas were biblical. And I've shared the evidence of biblical influence on who we are. I mean, one of the clearest evidences is if you just go to our if you go to our nation's capital and you look at the monuments and you go into some of the great buildings, go into the Library of Congress, and who are you going to see in the freeze work around the Library of Congress? You're going to see Moses. Okay, you 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 read the quotes in our national monuments, and you're going to see references to the Bible, either explicitly or implicitly. So you can't argue that somehow this book that changed the world more so than any other book is important to the American March for Freedom, our progress. Now, if you're going to tear that all down and throw it away, if you're going to use the map as, you know, as nothing but uh, kindling to, to start a fire that burns down America so that you can reconstruct something different, then you better recognize that the lessons of history are pretty clear here, that every time the created tries to elevate itself over the creator, it doesn't end well. We're given over to a repro- reprobate mind. We can't think clearly any longer because of our hubris, our arrogance, our narcissism, our navel-gazing, our fixation on self rather than on things that are bigger than us. We gaze in the mirror not recognizing that there's a world outside of what we're seeing in our own reflection. This, this always ends badly. And again, this is the lesson of Sinai juxtaposed to Paris, uh, the biblical worldview juxtaposed compared to the Enlightenment worldview. As Lennox said in one of his quotes that I shared with you in a previous show, it's very ironic, isn't it, that the Enlightenment resar- resulted in a very dark world. A very, the, the darkness of the French Revolution and the guillotine, the darkness of Marxism and its march across the world. Well over 100 million people dead in its wake. Some estimates exceed 200 million. The, the, the darkness of fascism, Mussolini and Hitler, despots, authoritarians, Mao, Lenin, Stalin, Castro, the despots of history, all ignored 
the lessons of history. And they thought that they somehow could dodge the bullet. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We've clearly got issues here. And we can't pretend that America is going to go on where we will celebrate freedom by ignoring these lessons and ignoring the fact that on a daily basis we're seeing the consequences of of stepping away from the truths that held us in check for over 200 years. I mean, is there any remaining question that the corporate oligarchs and today's educational ruling class, that they have nearly an Orwellian control over all of American culture right now? I mean, I've talked about stories on this show. New ones pop up every day. I mean, we've got this story that I've shared. Oh, it was 2019, 2020. This is a few years old where Dr. Alan Josephson, a distinguished professor and former director of child and adolescent psychiatry at the University of Louisville, he, he was removed from his leadership position. Why? <laughs> Why? He, he was removed because he dared to challenge the medical wisdom of gender affirmation and surgical sex change treatments for a children's hospital. Why? Child and adolescent psychiatry. He was removed because he dared to raise his hand and say, wait a second, are we hurting these kids or are we helping these kids? These sex change treatments, gender affirmation, encouraging minors who are too young to buy cigarettes or alcohol or vote or drive. We're saying that they don't have the mental and cognitive capacity to function like adults, and therefore we should make sure that we've got parental consent before they even do some of these other things that are relatively harmless in culture and society. they, They can't function like adults because they're not adults, but yet we turn around and we start affirming delusional delusional ideas such as ignoring biological facts. And we're actually going to inject inject hormones into their bodies, or even worse, we're going to start using a scalpel to change their physiology. We're going to cut off functioning organs. We're going to mutilate them. We're going to butcher them. And this guy starts saying that he is concerned, and he says it in much more politically sensitive terms than what I just used. And he gets fired for suggesting that it might not be a great idea to tell a confused adolescent boy that he should cut off his penis. He gets fired. This doctor gets fired. And he's declared verboten by the University of Louisville's intellectual Third Reich. And he's summarily fired. Here's a story that's a few years old. I'll remind you of this one. You had Mario Lopez, the Hollywood star. Um, Let's see. He, he saved by the bell, dancing with the stars, extra. You, you know who he is. He, he was threatened with excommunication from Hollywood because he, he he challenged the rainbow cabal, and he suggested that a three-year-old, three-year-old, I'm going to say it one more time, a three-year-old cannot be trusted to choose his own gender. I mean, you're not letting him choose his own lunch, my land but you're going to let him choose his gender? (laughs) 99.9% of the thinking people in the world would have said that that's obvious just five minutes ago, and now when you've got a Hollywood star that says the same thing today, 
he's forced to recant or be canceled. Unfortunately, he did. He recanted. You have to wonder if these Bloody Marys of the Ivory Tower and these national corporate oligarchs are going to start demanding actual executions rather than fictional ones. You've got these drag queen story hours that are pervasive. I reported a few years ago that New York City's public library actually put into its budget, and where do they get their budget from tax dollars? They put $25,000 into their budget to promote drag queen story hours for children as young as four and five years of age, using these boys and girls as pawns in this dirty game of sexual politics. And the poster child of this is now, I don't know, it's six, eight, ten years old. It was Marcia De Silva, an owner of a women's salon in Canada before the COVID thing kind of swept over all of the world and basically made us forget all of this lunacy that was going on. This one was hot in the news. This, this woman who owns a, a salon, a woman's salon, a woman's salon in Canada was sued by a transgender quote-unquote woman, otherwise known as a biological man, because she, not, not, the, not the trans, but Mrs. De Silva, refused to provide a Brazilian wax to this woman's, forgive me for it, scrotum. Now, in case you haven't <laughs> heard this story before, I'm not making this up. Uh, this actually happened. And who's the bad one here? The bad one was Miss De Silva, not this delusional man that was forcing a woman to engage in this lunacy. Uh, and then right here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, we've got the this pride event that took place just last weekend where they had drag queen performance, and they promoted it as a family-friendly event, complete with bouncy toys for the children, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, Jesus said that you'd be better off to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea than to lead these little ones astray. We need a map. We've lost our way. The cultural elites are pushing this nihilistic garbage on American society, and it's because there's a vacuum right now. We tore up the biblical worldview. We refuse to allow it to be taught in our schools and in our culture, and parents are missing the boat. Why? Because they're the products of that school, of that church, of that culture. Garbage in, garbage out. Got terrible parenting today because they were given a terrible education. The cycle is perpetuating itself. And the consequences of that is that we're lost. We don't have any direction. We don't know sick them from get them up. We don't left, know left from right, up from down. The only solution to this people is to recover the lessons of history the lessons of Moses, the lessons of Jesus, the lessons of our founding fathers, and pay attention to the map. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.